There's a, uh, there's a popular characterization of uh, millennials and of Gen Z, um, the two youngest generations, uh, myself being a millennial, um, Gen Z. There, there's a common characterization that takes place. Um, I'm a millennial, so I expect my participation trophy right after Mass. I'd really appreciate it. But there's a common, mis- there's a common uh, characterization that takes place with, these, with, a gener- with our younger generations. And there have been article after article that's written, and, and different things have been seen, and studies have been done, and surveys, and all this stuff. But one of the biggest things is that you see uh, younger generations leaving jobs, entry-level jobs, or bypassing entry-level jobs, because they, quote-unquote, don't make enough of a difference. Um, I, I, I've seen this with my friends. I've seen this with younger people. Um, that it's just, there's, a, there's a, an absolute desire to want to make a difference in the world more than a paycheck. For a younger generation, my, my, I, I know my generation, uh, typically speaking, the purpose is more important than the paycheck. So when we do something, or we're asked to do something, or when, I know myself, the tendency is when I'm asked to do something that doesn't really have much of a purpose, I, I don't like that. It usually like hits a discord in me, and I, I, have, a, I have a hard time with that. There was a, uh, for example, I, my first year in the seminary, I was a la- my, myself and Father Bryce, uh, who was here last week, right, uh, and then uh, Father Josh Rodrigue. We were assigned to Father Josh's parish. We had our fun. We were enjoying ourselves. At the end of the summer, we went on a mission trip. And when we went on a mission trip, we, were at, uh, we went to Kingston, Jamaica, to the missionaries of the poor. Beautiful apostolate, beautiful group of men um, that are serving and, and, and working in Kingston. What they had was is they had these different centers throughout, the course, throughout Kingston, throughout the city, uh, and they would take care of people, whether it was a, a women's group or a men's, a men's clinic or um, there was a, an outreach for an AIDS epidemic kind of space. And then there was a, a, a children's center. There was all these different centers that were all kind of specialized spaces for different groups of people. And what we would do is, is every morning we would wake up, we were one of the brothers. So we would wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, we had mass and at 6.45, we had rosary and a holy hour after that and pray the breviary with them and all these things. And then it was, all right, eat a quick breakfast and get out. Go work. So we would get to the center and we would walk into like the office space that they had there. And when we were sitting around, the brothers would sit there and just hand out jobs. We need some people to mop. We need some people to, to feed people. We need some people to do this, do that, all these different kind of things. And one of the jobs that I remember, this first day we were sitting there, they were going around and they're saying, all right, we need a few people to, uh, to, to mop. One, two, three, you three go mop. We need a couple of people to, uh, to help get people ready for the day and change them. One, two, three, you go do that. One of the jobs was uh, we, we need people to bathe people. And I remember my eyes got really big and I got nervous and I'm sitting there. And I see one, two, three. And it was Father Bryce. And I laughed. <laughs> Have fun, buddy. That job's off the table. I'm good, right? So we went through, we went through all these jobs. We were going through the day and we're, we're all doing our work. But at one point, one of the brothers walked up to me and he handed me a nail clipper. And when he handed me a nail clipper, he said, um, do me a favor. 
and see if anybody needs their fingernails or toenails clipped. So I'm standing there with a nail clipper, and almost immediately, once the residents there saw saw a nail clipper, they basically built a line. So now they're in line, they come up to me, and the first guy that came up to me, I'll never forget what he looked like, when he came up to me, you could tell he was mentally and physically just, just not, not there, and he comes up to me, and he offered me his hand. And when he offered me his hand, I look, I go to start clipping his, his fingernails, and his fingernails were probably about half of what you would see on a normal fingernail, because of how much they had been clipped. And I remember standing there and like, if I clip this man's fingernails anymore, he's going to start bleeding. It's going to really hurt. But I remember I'm holding his hand and I'm kind of not knowing what to do. So I just kind of like took a little bit off here and like just little corners and things just to try and, okay, I did something for him. Big smile on his face and he walked away. Later on in the day, I was at lunch, I was talking to one of the brothers and I said, man, like you gave me this and I... I feel bad because I wasn't able to like do the task that you asked me to do. I wasn't able to fulfill the purpose that you asked me to do. And he looks at me and he says, you missed the point. I said, what do you mean? He said, you've completely missed the point. Your purpose was not to clip fingernails. Your purpose was to show love to a resident. And that's why, even though it was excruciating pain for him, he was the first one in line and offered his hand to you. But he said, you have missed the point. It's not about the purpose that you think. It's about the purpose of why God sent you here. So often, I think we can fall into this place that we want to try and define our own purpose or fulfill what we think is our purpose. But ultimately, God is the one that sets the purpose. God is the one that will fulfill the purpose if we only let Him. The most important for us to fulfill said purpose, for us to fulfill the purpose that God has for us, the first step and the most important virtue that we can possibly ask for is the virtue that's highlighted in today's Gospel. And that is humility. Humility is and will always be the first step to sanctity. Uh, my, my favorite definition of humility, it comes from the movie Rudy, the, the little Notre Dame football movie, right, from years ago. Uh, my, the, the, if you don't know the movie, um, Rudy is this little runt of a litter. Uh, he's, he's got no talent. He's, he's a small guy, but he's got heart. And he just wants to play and has this dream of playing at Notre Dame and running out of the field, on the field with his gold helmet shining on a Saturday afternoon. And why would he not want to play at Notre Dame? Because they're always going to be overrated and in the top ten even though they don't deserve it. So Rudy, but he has this dream and this desire and always wants to, be, wants to play at Notre Dame. And he goes to this the little school, Holy Cross, that kind of shares campus in South Bend with Notre Dame, and, and he works his way to try and get his grades up so that he can finally get into school and then finally walk onto the team and then hopefully one day maybe be able to dress out. That, that's, his, that's the arc of the movie. But as he's at Holy Cross and as he's working on his grades and trying to get in and applying and applying, he's constantly being rejected. And there's this moment where he has one final chance to maybe be able to transfer into Notre Dame 
And he's, put, he's, he's done all his work, he's done all his study, and he's sitting in the chapel at the university, and he's praying. And this old wise priest that, loved, that, that knew him from the day he got there walks through, sits down with him, and starts talking. And Rudy tells him the situation, and he says, maybe I haven't prayed enough. And the priest looks at him and says, I don't think that's the case. He looks at him and he says, there's two irrefutable facts that I've come to learn in my time as a priest. Number one, there is a God. And number two, I'm not Him. I think that's the best way we can start with the definition of humility. There is a God, and I'm not Him. Even when it comes to a purpose, the purpose that we might feel in life, or the purpose that I felt that I had to do when I was in Kingston, Jamaica, with this, this, this African man who, is, who offers his hand to me, like even whenever those things are going on, there is a God, and I'm not Him. Because humility is first and foremost rooted in truth. It's first and foremost rooted in reality. Mother Teresa wants to find humility. She said, humility is the mother of all virtues. Purity, purity, charity, and obedience. And she says this, if you are humble, nothing will touch you. Neither praise nor disgrace. Because you know what you are. If you are blamed, you will not be discouraged. And if they call you a saint, you will not put yourself on a pedestal. Humility is first and foremost recognizing reality. It's recognizing truth. False humility is being someone that can sing and saying, oh no, no, I'm a terrible singer. That's, 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 that's lying. <laughs> That's not virtuous. But true humility is recognizing reality as it stands, but always in reference and relationship to God. See, in our Gospel today, the, the people that are coming to this party, that are coming to this dinner party, they lose the second part of that. They forget that they're in relationship to God. So what happens? When the guests get there, the first thing they do is they're kind of jockeying for their position. They want to sit at the head of the table. They want to be at the more honored seats. They want to make sure that they are the ones who are seen and who are, who are reverenced when people walk in as the powerful people, as the influential people. They want the good seats. The host. I have a feeling that Jesus doesn't just do this in a vacuum where he just pulls out this one teaching for the host of the party, but instead he looks at him and says, don't invite the rich and the influential. Don't invite the people that are closest to you that might repay you so that you can be seen as an influential person. This is incestuous kind of relationship where we just kind of build up each other's ego. You need to break that. And Jesus attacks right at it. Right at the core of where they're struggling. And says, be humble. Whether you're the guest at the party or the host, act against your normal intuition. Make yourself small so that God can make you great. Today as we come to Mass, we come with this, I find that this is always funny because I think of like the, the old saying of the best Catholics sit in the back of the church, right? 
So the best Catholics probably sit in the back back here and the back over there, right? But like that, that whole idea of like that, that we don't want the places of honor. Catholics really listen to that, right? But, but, we, but there's, this, there's this intuition in us that we want that in the world there is a praise and there is a, a, an honor and there is a power that we, that we can grasp at. But God is saying actively, don't do it. God is saying actively, make yourself small and let me make you great. If we can't do that in things as trivial as going to a party, if we can't do that in things as trivial as, as where, where we sit when we go to a banquet, then how can, we do, how can we continue to do that in something as important as our relationship with God? Because the tendency for, in, since the beginning of human nature, since Adam and Eve, has been the struggle of man to try and put himself or herself on the level of God. We're small before Him. We're little. This is a a Gospel that the greatest saints preached over and over and over again. And today when we come to Mass, we get to be little. We get to be before our God who is all-powerful, all-loving, all-present, who sacramentally steps down onto the altar and gives Himself to us. But He sees it fit to honor us in that way. He sees it fit to come meet us in our humanity and in our littleness and to lift us up to be with Him. The other thing about humility, and I'll end with this, is that in a very powerful way, the more humble and the more little we are, the more we come to cherish what we do have, and the more generous we become to others. Tomorrow's the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Ida. And if I think back to the, month, the weeks and months in the immediate wake of the storm, I can think of the amount of... Uh, it, the only thing that comes to my mind is the overwhelming amount of people that were ready to help that were ready at, a, at, a, at the drop of a hat to, to cook, to give some kind of help, to, to, to give aid, to give financial aid, to, give, um, to, to, to help and tarp a roof, all these different things, especially when the rest of the world forgot about us. You may still be sitting there trying, just waiting for your house to be ready, as many of us are. You might still be looking for a sink to just be installed in your kitchen. But regardless, like the the humility that we had at that moment where we recognized our mortality, our littleness, and the utter reliance we needed needed for God, I think is what made us more generous to our neighbor. Then the lights came back on. And then the grocery stores opened. And then we started to forget. By no means do I want another storm. But that spirit of generosity, of littleness and humility that we shared as a culture was something that I think we de- that deserves to be cherished. May today we not need a natural disaster. 
May we not need something that big that affected us so profoundly. But instead, as we come before our big God, may that lead us to a space of generosity, of gratefulness, and ultimately, humility.